Hi. Thanks for stopping by. Today's okayish guest is Kim. She's a mom, an arts educator, dancer, and an online community manager. She runs a Facebook group to support moms at all stages with honesty, humor, and frankness called Honest Mom, a safe space for all moms. Today is a little different. This is my longest interview to date. I try to keep episodes closer to 30 minutes, but I couldn't bring myself to separate our conversation. So I hope you enjoy listening as much as I did. Well, thanks for sitting down with me this evening after our kids are asleep and for agreeing to talk a little bit, considering I still have your Girl Scout cookies held hostage. <laughs> Emily keeps asking, she's like, whose cookies are those? I said, not yours. <laughs> yeah, it's dangerous to keep those laying around like that. She likes those coconut ones. So we will, we will find a time. We'll get those to you. John just had his second shot. We have partial immunity. What do they say? It takes three weeks. Yeah, two to three weeks, something like that. I'm as of today, I'm fully, fully immune. And or so they say. Uh, yeah. And then Tuesday, Ian goes for his second shot. And then we have a couple of weeks after that. Mm. We're good. But you know, with a, it, you can relate to this. Like we we have children and they're not vaccinated. So mm-hmm. we don't really know yet like how what we can carry to them still, even with the vaccine. So that's, that's still a little unnerving. It's still, even though it feels like this has been going on forever, I guess in terms of disease and vaccine research and all of that stuff, this is still pretty new. And I feel like even the professionals are like, well, I don't know, like maybe you're going to need a third shot. Maybe you'll need a shot every year. Maybe your kids will get it. You know, maybe they won't. And yeah, as a parent, you have to really You have to try your best to make your own good decisions. We're keeping Amelie home for the rest of the school year because we just, we don't know. And she was exposed to it and never, because, you know, we had it. She never caught it. It's really mysterious because you know how children are. They are never not directly in your face. So, (laughs) so (laughs) yeah, she got, she, we breathed on her, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was unavoidable because no one could come take her because of the risk of exposure or even come inside the house to help or anything like that. So it was kind of like the sick caring for the sick and also a child, but she never got it. You know, I've heard of that before too. You know, it's just like, I'm hoping, and you don't know enough either about babies. And actually it brings me to when I was pregnant during the beginning of the pandemic, there's no information at all about how it affects pregnant women. And like, when you look things up, you either are going to be terrified for what you read, or you're just left with more questions. And that was really, really hard being in the house. Well, first of all, being a teacher mm-hmm. and right before the pandemic and hearing about it and that it's spreading and being in school with young children that, you know, like you said about kids being in your face or not knowing you know, the concept of personal space is not really their thing and not hand washing as well as they should be or learning hygiene. And it's just, that was, it was terrifying. And then the school buildings, some of the, some school buildings are just, the ventilation's not great either. Mm-hmm. So all those, all those factors. Oh, and being an art teacher where all the kids that you see all day from the whole school sharing all the supplies, you know, do I soak the markers in alcohol? I don't know. <laughs> Is there enough to even do that? You're already scared to eat, you know, 
sliced ham. <laughs> and then here, <laughs> and here you are with this terrifying virus that nobody knows much about and you're carrying a child. <laughs> it's just, it was awful. It was absolutely awful being pregnant in a pandemic. And then I couldn't even bring my husband in with me for for checkups. I had to go in by myself. Oh no. And also being scared to be out of the house with a mask and not even knowing like, is this mask enough? Did I wash my hands enough? Am I going to give something to the fetus? Mm. Just like all these things. It was, it was, it sucked being pregnant in a pandemic and any woman that is um, pregnant in a pandemic, it's like hats off to them. Seriously. I can't even imagine because pregnancy non-pandemic time is stressful enough because even those internet rabbit holes that you go down never lead you anywhere good when you're looking up, is this normal or what could happen? And do I need to microwave my ham and before I eat it? Or something that just basically tells you you're a terrible mother already. No. You know, and you're like, oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) The judgment and the shaming starts almost immediately, almost immediately. And then you're thrust into a situation where no one even knows what the right answer is or what could happen because of this brand new virus. And then you didn't have to give birth alone, right? It was just your appointments that you had to go alone or? Yeah, I was terrified because there were some hospitals that were enforcing that. Mm. But luckily the hospitals around this area in New Jersey, a lot of the hospitals in New Jersey seem to stay with one support partner. The thing is you couldn't leave. You had to stay in the maternity ward. So with our situation, Dean was born five weeks early. We weren't expecting any of it. And we didn't even have the car seat in the car ready to be hooked in. So we put it in the car, didn't install it. And we had to have a friend come and install it in the parking garage for us while we were in the hospital. And to get the keys to 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 him, Ian had to, because he couldn't leave the maternity ward or they wouldn't let him back in. Mm-hmm. So he basically had to give the keys to the nurse. The nurse gave it to the security guard. The security guard gave it to another security guard and then gave it to our friend. <laughs> and then I got passed back. Yeah, it was... It was insane. And also just being like, I didn't really enjoy being pregnant, Mm -hmm. but there are some, you know, like the baby shower. He literally was born the day before the shower, as you know. Yes. So like, (laughs) so like I couldn't even have my virtual shower because the original shower got canceled and there's a pile of boxes in the living room ready to be unpacked. So all the stuff we needed for this baby were in these boxes. So my parents had to come into the house and unpack all the boxes, write down who gave us what or whatever. Mm. So we can write thank you cards later. We had to be, even be careful with them. They had to wear masks. They had to stay six feet away. We hardly saw any family. <laughs> like my parents, I really wanted my mother. I wanted my family to be in the hospital and I could, we couldn't have anyone. We just one person. And thankfully at least I had that, but mm-hmm. that sucks. Giving birth in a mask is also terrible uh, <laughs> uh, until they had to give me oxygen. Whenever I hear people complain about, oh, I have to wear a mask, like when they go food shopping, I'm like, dude, I pushed a baby out of me. Where <laughs> one. If I can do that, you can go food shopping. Believe me. <laughs> oh my, that's the ultimate clapback though. Oh, is this hard for you? Try giving birth in a mask. <laughs> Thank you. I'll always have that in my, in my back pocket. You know? I know for some people that would be the dream to have no one <laughs> in the hospital. 
But I think it kind of strips you of the choice. Who do you want there? And it sounds like a lot of things maybe didn't go the way you initially pictured it because how far along were you in your pregnancy when the, the all the shutdowns and everything started? Let's see. I was, I just started my second trimester. So I think, I, no, I, I was like, into my second trimester when it happened. When I returned to work, <laughs> they're going to be like, wait, you had a baby? <laughs> Where have you been all this time? I didn't even get a chance to really announce to anyone that that I was pregnant. It's like a, like a dirty secret. <laughs> well, yeah. The first trimester really is treated that way where people keep it yeah. for a lot of different reasons to themselves. They're either protecting their jobs or they're so worried about baby loss. There's there's a lot of fear built around it, which is, I don't know, sad in a way. It is. It's really cool when people are having a baby and you wanna, you know, you wanna tell people. Yeah, I wasn't able to really tell anyone until the end of January, beginning of February. We didn't have a lot of meetings that I could announce it at the faculty mm. meeting or whatever. I wasn't showing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and it was winter. So I was wearing big clothes to keep warm and and then before I could really tell anyone, it's everything shut down. On, on one hand, you know, I didn't have to worry about driving to work every day because I, I was at home. I was safe at home, going through the usual struggles of pregnancy at home, safe mm-hmm. and warm. It was very stressful for work, though, because we didn't know what we were doing, trying to figure out the virtual learning, not knowing how long we we're going to be out. And not all school districts are created equal or are organized. Mm. And that that added a lot of stress onto me while being pregnant. So I would swell up by the end of the day from all the stress and just sitting at my chair. I I think my biggest, one of my biggest complaints, not having my family see me that much. We couldn't even get together for, you know, Mother's Day or anything like that. It's like they kind of, they felt like they kind of missed the whole pregnancy And I I feel also like my care wasn't as good when I went to the doctor. I felt like there was, there was a disconnect when I would go to the office and, you know, with the masks and everything and keeping Mm. a distance and keeping everything sterile. I I really feel like I missed out on something too. I felt like the care wasn't quite as personal as it could have been. I could imagine. I mean, that probably happens on a, on a lot of levels. Like you said, the mask, you're sort of almost depersonalizing in a way. You're not seeing their face. But I would also imagine because doctor's offices, in my experience and when I was pregnant, they were always overbooked. They were always running behind. There's always people in the waiting room, you know, because some emergency or something would happen. It would bump everybody else's appointments. But you can't do that in a pandemic. I feel like they were probably just trying to get people in and out. And that takes away some of you know, some of the, the personal touch, the, the talking. Yeah. And also when I had to go for the ultrasound, mm. I had to go by myself. I, I had to see him, the picture of him and the scans they were taking all alone. Oh. And I was like, you know, that I'm in there for like 45 minutes. My husband had to wait outside in the car because I couldn't bring a, a person in with me to see our baby. I had to just show them the picture and go, here he is. You know, even if you, you see in movies, like, oh, look, there he is. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's just, we didn't really get that. We got it in the very beginning when he looked like a little peanut. Mm-hmm. But after that, 
it was just me bringing pictures back to show my husband. So I missed out on that. It sucked. And, you know, also even now, like going to the pediatrician, it can only be one of us. We have to make a list of questions to ask because uh, one parent would remember questions when the other doesn't. Mm-hmm. And my son had to have surgery and only one person could go in with him. It was really bad with, with the pandemic, just mm-hmm. going through things that are tough already and traumatic. And yeah, yeah, it's it's been hard. It's been really hard, but we're, we're managing mm-hmm. and it looks like there's sort of a light at the end of the tunnel now that everybody's getting vaccinated and there, we had a tough baby. So we really did need help. So we had to push our comfort zone a little bit and have our parents come in and help because mm. there was no way we could not have any help. You know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. It's true. <laughs> And our little guy had really severe colic, severe reflux, and and he had a a wail, not even a cry, that actually drove us to the hospital at one point because we thought something right. was wrong with him. And they and they heard it, and when they heard it, they had child protective services on call because a cry like that usually means oh something must be broken, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like maybe we did something, and that was just procedure for them. But luckily, it was just colic and reflux after nine hours of testing with the baby. But again, COVID being in an emergency room was terrifying too. <laughs> and that's just, that's stressful, non-pandemic. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Giving birth and just whatever complications I had personally for me too, on top of it, like it was, it was really rough. We couldn't ask our neighbors to come over to help us because we didn't know who they saw or who they've mm-hmm. been with. And they actually ended up getting COVID recently. And we don't know who anyone's been exposed to. We had to make some exceptions a couple of times because we needed help. Mm-hmm. So we had to take a risk. Yeah. And that's tough because you have to make these mental calculations. And I'm sure even though you need the help, I know I personally would keep second guessing, like, am I doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. Are we going to be okay? Just seeing people is a very strange thing yeah. in a in a pandemic because you're only as safe as they are. Exactly. Like you don't know who they've been with. <laughs> mm-hmm. The mask can only do so much. And so and we've had friends that have actually quarantined themselves to come see us mm-hmm. and they still wore a mask. But because my health wasn't great right after after having my, my son and we had to have my mom come in and help. We had mm-hmm. to, but she wore a mask and everyone was fine. We just had to just say, we had to expand our bubble just a little bit in order to do that. And it's, it's hard <laughs> when I was, I was doing mother's mom's groups and we had to do it virtually. Mm. And there are some moms that didn't see anyone. I'm fortunate that my husband works from home. So at least there's another person in the house. So it's not just me and baby all day. Mm-hmm. But some of those poor, the, some of those poor mothers were alone all day, every day while their husband went to work. And with that fear of like, when they had to go into work, what are they being exposed to and bringing home that it's so stressful for the parents. Wow. So in that sense, I was lucky that my husband worked from home. But anytime you had to go out and go food shopping, it was a process. We had to go mm-hmm. down into the basement, take your shoes off, take your, you know, like wash your hands, put all the groceries out down downstairs, let them kind of air out. Cause we didn't know in the mm-hmm. beginning. <laughs> Everyone was wiping down doorknobs and 
surfaces. And I mean, really early on, they didn't even know if we should be wearing masks or not. Or was this more something you would touch and then touch your face? Or so everybody was disinfecting. I feel like there's still a real drain on the Lysol supply. It's (laughs) even over a year later. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Like, you know, our son has like a cranial band now and Mm -hmm. we have to clean it every day with rubbing alcohol. And I was thinking in my head, what about those poor parents that had to get these right when the pandemic started, when there was no alcohol to be found anywhere? (laughs) None. And I kept hearing about people with diabetes that said, I need rubbing alcohol to clean my stuff and I can't find it. So what do I do? You know, what do you do? Yeah, like you're pretty much going to have to use some like absolute vodka or something to clean things. Mm-hmm. Like, luckily, we have plenty of that, but you know. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a solution. It's useful for a pandemic, <laughs> you know, the alcohol <laughs> for multiple reasons. Well, yeah, I mean. But I was pregnant, so I couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, maybe, maybe post-pregnancy, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. all situational. Yeah. <laughs> like I couldn't even have a drink. Everyone, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, being being a mom, as you know, in a pandemic, or being a parent, is like that much harder. I I feel mm-hmm. that much harder because you know our our kids can't really socialize the way that they probably want to or need to. I know my little guy, you know, with all of his issues that he's had, he is a very social little baby, and all he wants to do is play and he smiles at any stranger that walks by oh which I don't know how I feel about that but (laughs) I'm happy that he that he's a social kid and he's not afraid of everything in spite of everything that you know keeping him so sheltered Mm -hmm. he was around his grandparents so I guess that helped but you know I feel bad for the kids it's it's rough but I know they're resilient and I I feel that they'll be okay more so than us yeah I have very similar thoughts. My girl, she's seven and she kind of sort of swings back and forth with it where sometimes it's mommy, I love you. And I only want to go to school with you. And I just want to be with you all the time. And this is great to, you know, she misses her friends. She wants to be back in her school building. She's never interacted with her teacher face to face. She's occasionally feels that that loss, but I think. In the long run, especially the little kids, they're they're going to be all right. You know, they'll they'll get their time. Even the superintendent, he sent a strange message about kids falling behind. And the only way we can prevent kids falling behind is getting them back into the physical school buildings. But that that's kind of funny with me falling behind on what? you know for who like who decided what was behind exactly yeah it's like by whose standards I I feel like everyone is in the same boat and everyone will start from where they need to start whether they're in the building or not I mean what's important to kids in my opinion is routine Mm -hmm. and as long as they have some kind of routine and they will learn Mm -hmm. they're they're, kids amaze me they're just so such resilient little people and we can learn a lot from them too, especially the way they see the world. They can learn things through just experience. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is a really good opportunity for the teachers, the parents, everybody to just let this be a learning experience for them. And they'll look back at it and go, you know, remember that time where I had to 
stay home. I mean, they did during the times when there was, when polio mm-hmm. struck, the kids were doing virtual learning through the radio. Oh my God. So, so it's not like this is the first time this is, you know, happening. I know it's very different. I mean, they have, they have computers now mm-hmm. that this is way more high tech. They, they're able to do so much more. So I, I think they'll be fine. I, I feel like they'll be fine. I can't even imagine what this would have been like when we were younger. Could you imagine the, the, the paper packets they would have sent home to our parents. Oh, so many trees, so many trees sacrificed for for the pandemic. And then they would have had to figure out what to do with them all when they came back. Like, okay, here's all this work. Oh, crap. (laughs) Now we have to. Four teachers, oh my God. Yeah, if I were the teacher, I'd be like, yeah, no. You, oh, here's the packet. I'm going to like flip through it real fast and go, it looks like it's done. A. A plus. Yeah. You all are brilliant. Yeah. So good at working at home. <laughs> what do you even need me for? <laughs> so what was sort of the the biggest surprise for you, whether it was pregnancy or like new motherhood, anything? Was there Was there something that made you go, wait a minute, no one told me about this or. <laughs> oh, there's so much, there's so much of that. <laughs> I think the thing I kind of like came to a biggest conclusion, I kind of knew about it, but now I really know is that like, honestly, I don't feel like a lot of moms feel comfortable talking about how hard it can be mm. to be a parent. And I think they're either afraid. <laughs> so I was like surprised because I felt like I had no one to talk to about it. Mm. It was, you know, especially during a pandemic, you're already isolated, but no one was very forthcoming of information. And it, it actually made me because my baby was so difficult and mm-hmm. had to be like carried around all day, every day, just so he wouldn't cry. I felt like I was the only mom that was experiencing that. And that's where I found Facebook groups where there were other parents that had babies that were similar, but no one really close in my circle seemed to, you know, they're like, Oh yeah, my, my kid cries a little like that. Yeah. And then that would Mm -hmm. be it. And I'm like, no, tell me more, (laughs) tell me how hard it is because I feel like I'm the only one. It's just, I think the thing that shocked me the most is just how isolating it can be to be a mom. Mm -hmm. I was not expecting that. Yeah. I, I think the, the lack of honesty. And I'm not saying people are lying. I'm just saying they're just, just not as open about difficulties of being a brand new mom. Like, mm. no, some people are lying. I will tell you that. <laughs> yeah. I you know. Okay. I, I didn't want to say it, but some, some, some people are. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, you know, social media is, has its wonderful qualities about it, but it also just, it can polish the turd that, that, you know, a, a person's life could be. Everything could look like, you know, hearts and rainbows, but it could be something else. They only see that part you know, you can pretty much control what you want others to see about your life. Mm-hmm. You can kind of mold it. So even though I post pictures of my kids smiling, what am I going to do? I'm not going to post pictures of them screaming either, but 
you know, <laughs> which I have, I have pictures of. <laughs> yeah, we all do. Cause sometimes you're like, you are a ridiculous little person and I'm going to yeah. document this. <laughs> I have, yeah. And I, and I've done, I have pictures to prove those moments. No, I definitely had some, some people that told me some things that were not true. I think they were trying to make me not despair. Possibly there was someone at my job because my, my daughter was a terrible sleeper. Mm-hmm. She was such a bad sleeper. All that she wanted to do was nurse all night long, <laughs> off and on, and just be awake. And then, and it wasn't even like she would sleep during the day. She would just take these weird little cat naps. So I, I was just delirious. And then I had to go back to work. Oh. And I was telling people, I said, what is, you know, this seems not right. And they said, oh, no, no, no. When she gets to six months, you'll see. It'll be so much better. I said, okay. So I approached this person at six months. I said, this kid is still not sleeping. And she goes, oh, did I say that? I really meant, you know, probably about a year. So she kept moving the goalpost because I think she didn't want to scare me. And then after a year, I told her, I said, this child is still not sleeping. And then she finally got honest. She goes, yeah, I didn't want to scare you, but my five-year-old still climbs into my bed and I figured it out, but I was hopeful for you. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> Why wouldn't you just tell me that? Yeah, people feel the need to protect motherhood in some way, shape, or form. Like, mm. it, you can admit that it does suck sometimes, mm-hmm. and it does. <laughs> and it's okay. It's part of life, you know. But with my kid having reflux, so many people would just say, "Oh yeah, my oh yeah, all babies get reflux." I'm like, no, dude, mm-hmm. you don't know. <laughs> Yeah, maybe to a certain degree, but you like, you know, it was and and people kind of even people in our family were like, they didn't really believe us until they saw it. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, this is what it's like. Our pediatrician totally knows that we always make jokes about it now because he's not as bad. But it's like, oh, how's Dean's cry? How's it going? Is he is he still like screaming his head off or is he is he better now? Like, no, he's good. No hospital cry, we call it. Oh, the hospital <laughs> cry. <laughs> yeah, the hospital cry. That was that was an experience in itself. Having people call child protective services to keep him on call, mm. ready to come in. And we're like, my my husband's like, they're gonna take me away. I, I probably broke a bone. I don't know how strong I am. I what did, maybe I rocked his rocking chair too hard. I don't know. Like it was, it was awful. But yeah, I think the the biggest surprise to me was just how how quiet moms are, and I just it 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 bothered me. And and then on top of it, it felt like maybe I was the only one going through it. Mm. You know, there were strangers on on Facebook that were experiencing it, but around me, I felt like I was going crazy. I guess we're the only couple that have a baby like this, but being treated like we were exaggerating, like, oh yeah, our kid cries like that. We're like, no, no, I don't, I don't think, no, <laughs> I don't think that's no, <laughs> but and when I asked my doctor and that too, like doctors treating you like you're exaggerating things as well. And that's, that's a common thing. I know you can probably relate to mm-hmm. being a woman. Mm-hmm. You're not taken quite as seriously. It's just by nature. Even female doctors don't take you as seriously. It's just how women are viewed that we are just too emotional or mm-hmm. whatever, but I could not see out of my left eye. And I messaged my doctor, like, is this normal? He's like, no. <laughs> Maybe you should get your eyes checked. So I did go. I just strained myself from pushing the baby out too hard, which once again, I didn't take any Lamaze classes because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what the 
hell I was doing when I was giving birth to this kid. They kept saying push. I'm like, wait, what, how, what am I doing? <laughs> I don't know. Like I've never done this before. And you sort of just assume that your body is going to know what to do with this, like, no. like pushing out babies, no. breastfeeding to you. You think, okay, this should be, this should just work. And it does not. Also when I was <laughs> we sh- just showed up at the hospital because, and they were not expecting us because we were so early. My doctor was on vacation. Oh. So I had a doctor I didn't know and she was great, but the nurse, one nurse had my one leg and my husband had the other leg and they're helping me push. And that nurse, I guess, pushed me so hard in that one leg that my hip was thrown out of whack for a while. I had to go to physical therapy to help with that. And I ended up with a prolapse, like my bladder fell down (laughs) and I didn't even know what was happening because stupid me again, not knowing anything. I, after four weeks, I felt good. And I just was walking around outside and my parents were helping. They were over. And I just started like picking weeds. What the hell? (laughs) I just felt the need to clean my yard. I, I just started pulling weeds and you know, I was like feeling good. I'm like, yeah, some yard work, you know, very mm-hmm. light yard work. I'm good. I can handle this. I'm just standing around, but I was bending over to pick up weeds a little bit. And later that day, it just felt like this heaviness that just happened down there. And I'm mm. like, what the hell? And, you know, taking a mirror and going, what is that? And then the doctor made it like, oh yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. It's, it's just a minor prolapse. <laughs> Usually, you know, go back on their own you can go back to exercising. You should be fine. I'm like, wait, so I can run. You're telling me I can run with this hanging out of me. This is cool. He's like, yeah, just don't do heavy lifting. Nothing above 15 pounds. When you come see me for the annual in October, which was, this is August, by the way, you know, I said, well, should I be doing Kegels? Should I go to pelvic floor therapy? No, no, you'll, you should be fine. There's an outpatient procedure you could do to repair it if it doesn't repair itself, you know, and it's not, it's not a big deal. When I left, I'm like, this is a big deal. This is not normal. And I couldn't exercise. I was terrified that like my bladder was just going to leave me. (laughs) I kind of felt like what my, again, the medical care was not great. And I was like, oh, you had your baby. Now you're good. See ya. And I'm like, I'm alone and I don't know what to do. (laughs) but my hip, my eye, my bladder fell out. And then the usual weird postpartum things that happen to you anyway, was Mm -hmm. also occurring and, you know, your hair falling out. No one told me about that. No one told me. Yeah, I was warned. Yeah, I was warned. Luckily, that was one thing I was warned about. (laughs) No, I was in the shower and all of a sudden, what what is this? What is this? Yes. Yeah, I could have made a wig with the amount that yeah. I was losing for a yeah. while. And I had bald spots around my ha- my hairline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. So yeah, I mean, that's not fun either. No, and it was one of those things <laughs> when I brought it up, other moms go, oh yeah, that happens. But well, you could have mentioned it. <laughs> nobody, nobody said a word about this one. You yeah. warned me about peeing myself, but that was about it. <laughs> Yeah. And that whole concept of peeing yourself too. That was another thing that I knew a little bit about it beforehand that it had to do with the muscles that were like in the pelvic floor area. And I was slightly aware of it, but I didn't realize that I could have consulted with a physical therapist before I gave birth. 
I know I was exercising and doing everything I was doing before with modifications and running. But the thing I didn't realize is that this whole time, my muscles were just too tight. Mm. And they just kind of gave up after a certain point. Yeah, that it's just that that was something I didn't know could happen. And I was the only one going through it. And it was scary. I was going to physical therapy for a little bit. And the the place I went to, the, again, with, with COVID, they couldn't really be close to you for that long. So they couldn't really get there to show you your exercises. They're like, all right, just lift your leg like this and stretch and do this. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand it. A lot of them couldn't be near you. They would like sit six feet apart or they'd be in their office. And then here I am stretching going, why am I doing these things? Mm-hmm. What is this? How is this helping me? But I did that for three months and it wasn't getting better. So I decided to take the surgery route. Mm-hmm. And definitely better, but on top of it, I couldn't exercise. And everyone's like, oh, you know, you snap back. That I hate that term, <laughs> snap back, because that snapping back does not happen that easily. Mm-mm. I don't care what you say. Some people are lucky, good for them. Mm-hmm. But for me, I, I'm literally just now starting to, and it's not even snapping back. I don't even know what you would call it. Like, what's the opposite of snap? <laughs> I don't know, like a, like like a ooze <laughs> yes I'm, I'm slowly oozing inward to at nine months later to where I need to be because only now I'm allowed to start exercising and I'm mm. actually going to a different pelvic floor therapist only now nine months later <laughs> I had to actually unfollow a lot of moms that were like fitness moms that were mm. pregnant at the same time as me because they all snapped back but they weren't dealing with prolapse like I was. Mm-hmm. Like you're very limited. You're very limited when you have that. Like, you know. No, I had a lot of the unhelpful, oh, because I was breastfeeding, like I couldn't keep enough calories in me. And, you know, uh, the weight was just falling off of me. And I said, Good for you. <laughs> but that that was not what happened with me. No, there's a lot, you know, I, I have a few friends that are, you know, same thing and things that you don't know to ask. And too, like mm-hmm. I end up finding on social media by following other moms. And I do get lucky sometimes finding information that I'm like, oh my God, is that what that was? Oh, mm-hmm. that would have been useful if I knew about that sooner. But I found out that it's harder to build muscle while you're breastfeeding because it makes perfect sense. Your body needs to hold on to fat in order to give the nutrients to the baby. That Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. Anyone who has common sense could see that your body needs to hold on to as much as possible. So yeah, losing weight would be difficult. I I know it burns a lot of calories, but. Mm -hmm. But you, but you, you need to be eating those so you can continue to produce. So yeah, I, yeah. I wonder if just like, I wonder if that's a trap (laughs) to get you to breastfeed. (laughs) Oh yeah, you should you should definitely try it. You'll love it. Yeah. Meanwhile, when I started, I'm like, this is the most painful thing ever. Nobody told me that this sucks so bad in the beginning. You know, it, it did get easier. Yeah. To the credit of the people that said, if you hang on, it will get easier. It will stop hurting. Yeah. You will get the hang of it, and it'll stop being so weird and painful. But yeah, you know, I didn't. Not that losing weight was super important because I felt like with work and with a baby and all this stuff, I was just, let me keep my head above water that my size was not my concern, but I did notice when I stopped breastfeeding, that's when I went, Oh, I can button this old shirt again. And it's not just my boobs. It yeah. was everywhere, like all the way down. 
yeah. So I felt like it was false advertising a little. <laughs> yeah. It was just frustrating. I just felt, I felt very, very isolated from COVID. I felt isolated because my son was so difficult and there, I couldn't, mm. I had no moms close to me that were, could relate or thought I was exaggerating. And I remember I was, I started going to group therapy. It's, it's funny because my husband went to group therapy before me for mm-hmm. postpartum dads. Aww. And yeah, yeah. And then I, you know, I, I just, I, it's hard, you know, when you have a baby that's screaming all the time and attending a meeting, mm-hmm. try to attend a meeting that you can't like attend and listen because your baby is freaking out all the time. And then I had to actually stop going, even though they were all very nice Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was nice to chat sometimes with them, but they all, all their babies, every single one of them were sitting quietly on their laps, either Mm -hmm. they were breastfeeding. Like you could see in the videos, the ones that were showing their kid is just chilling. Mm -hmm. And that I like at, at a certain point, it's just like, I lost it. Like I actually turned my camera off and I cried. Mm. And realize I can't attend these meetings anymore because it's too triggering for me. So I, you know, I had to unfortunately go for therapy for just myself, which has been wonderful and very helpful. Mm. But I think between the stress of being a new mom, the stress of a pandemic, having a child who had health issues and just that whole feeling of isolation and also like a you know my job too is a very stressful job and the just knowing i'm eventually going to have to go back to it i had to actually keep pushing my return date mm. and also financial things because yeah i could stay out the whole school year with no pay but bills mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. <laughs> there's that there's that funny thing the mortgage <laughs> and all that and my husband you know makes good money but even he for a while being a freelance artist a lot of his money were from conventions that weren't happening Mm. so the financial stress we add that on top of it and then me just trying my trying a little bit here and there just to look at the job market to see what was going on out there and if there's something out there for me that I could apply to Mm -hmm. but all these things just kind of wrapped up into a ball but one good thing is my son sleeps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the universe's way, like way of throwing me a bone. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I actually, I actually mentioned that to a friend earlier. I said, yeah, my, my poor son was born with hypospadias where it's like your pee holes in the wrong place. So mm-hmm. I had, he had to get surgery for that. Well, this is, this is nothing, but he's got a third nipple. Mm-hmm. But it's just, they call that accessory nipple. That's common. Mm-hmm. It's not a big deal. They said it, especially for boys, it's not a big deal. But yeah, there's that. Because he didn't get a lot of tummy time because of his reflux and spitting up and everything and the burning, it was really hard to give him tummy mm-hmm. time. So I essentially I essentially wore him all day as much as I could. Mm-hmm. And every time I'd sit, he'd complain. So I was on my feet and my, that made my prolapse worse. Mm-hmm. But, you know, his head was a little flat we tried everything we could to prevent it, but it just wasn't working. Mm -hmm. Especially I think that it also has something to do with where a baby sits in the birth canal too. Mm -hmm. Just, just that position. So, so yeah, he's in a helmet now and he hates it, but the surgery was a success and he handled it like a champ. We did not because the bandages were just 
mm-hmm. awful. Mm. But his reflux is going away, but you know, we have to keep him on prescription formula. But it's just it's been a lot. We're we definitely have a lot of PTSD, but the sleep thing is a gift. And anytime he has a bad night, we're like, oh God, is this it from here on end? Is this did, we, did our gift go away? Like, did somebody take it and just go, yeah, you know, <laughs> but, but he's been really good. So as far as that goes, and he, he took to his crib real well. Mm. It's incredible <sighs> what you can do with just some sleep, <laughs> just some sleep. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. We gifted ourselves a king size bed because we're just like, you know what? We deserve this. And you do. It's been you do. <laughs> it's been heaven. <laughs> so that that was another nice little highlight for that we gave to ourselves, and it's been it's so important, so important to be comfortable, and it's a quiet bed. So when you know you, if you move a lot while you sleep from side to side, and it doesn't creak and make sounds, it's mm. good. <laughs> good times, especially when you're not going out a lot those gifts that you can give yourself at home. I mean, think about how much time, ideally, as long as your baby lets you, you spend asleep in bed. Mm -hmm. It may as well be a place that you enjoy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Even if we're not really resting because we alternate nights watching him with the monitor, even if it's not the most restful of sleep, at least the bed is comfortable and Mm -hmm. she can relax. So that's always good, but... Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah. Is there anything yeah. else beyond the bed and therapy <laughs> and all that good stuff that you've been doing to keep yourself grounded now that there's no more hospital scream and things like that? Uh, I would imagine that would free up a little bit of mental, emotional space for you all. I started my mom's group because I just, like I said, I felt like a lot of moms are not honest enough with themselves, with each other. Mm. about how things can be really tough. And sometimes there are things, especially physically, I, you know, with with healthcare and everything, I just, I felt like pelvic floor therapy and the things that happened to me, mm-hmm. I needed to share because mm. some moms actually came forward to me, even privately telling me about their experience. And then they felt like, oh, I felt like I was so alone. Just like there's so many of us that are feeling alone so maybe we should feel alone together <laughs> in a group. So I just wanted to create a, a place where everybody could feel comfortable and you can either, you can be as vulgar as you want about things and just be, you know, talking about whatever you need, women's health issues or babies or whatever, mm-hmm. and just not feel judged. It's like, mm. I try to create a safe space and that safe space is also for me to go to and visit and talk to other moms. So it's not just me living my life by myself. I can kind of see things through other people's eyes and, you know, just feel like I'm in a community of some sort because we had that taken away from us for now. Mm -hmm. No, it's true. Yeah. So having that group is definitely occupying my time because a lot of other things like doing art, I I can't create right now. I can't dance Mm -hmm. really that well because my physical issues are still there. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my outlets were taken away from me. Mm -hmm. Working out was one of them running. I can't do any of those things. And that really, really was rough. So the group, my group on Facebook, Honest Moms really helped me focus on just 
helping other people mm. who may be, who may like, I just wish there was someone like me to help me when I was going through all this stuff because it was really hard and I felt very alone. There were so many things where I'm like, oh, I didn't know any of these things. And you don't know to ask certain questions. Mm-hmm. Like when the people ask you, Oh, you have any questions? You're like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> this, I'm new with this. <laughs> I haven't done this before. You tell me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I have a friend who, you know, she's, she's pregnant now and mm-hmm. terrified of everything. And so she's been reaching out to me a lot now. And I feel like, well, I am glad I can help someone because I didn't really, I didn't really have a lot, a lot of that. So, mm-hmm. and especially from people I thought who were also newer moms, I I did make friends with another new mom, but her issues, she, again, she would talk to me about things and we check in on each other, but she's still not quite as forthcoming. I, maybe it's just my personality. I'm just like, I'm, <laughs> I don't hide anything and I could be as explicit as whatever I, I, you know, or I would say, sorry, graphic might be the word mm, mm-hmm. should be using. I'm not afraid to talk about those things. And it's just me and not everybody is. Mm-hmm. So, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but I just, wanted to give people the opportunity to even if they don't want to say anything at least they can read somebody somebody's experience and go oh yeah I that that happened to me or Mm -hmm. just yeah that that just extending that hand to somebody who might need it hopefully there is someone that could use a little help Mm -hmm. do you have any sort of big picture hopes and plans for your your group as as it grows and it it gets more members, more people interacting. I was actually looking into like getting people who specialize in different things to kind of come in and maybe host live chats or live mm. live meetings, things so women can ask questions. Right now, it's the group is around 80 members and most of them are people that I know. And then some of them did invite their other moms. So because it's a private group, growing it is a little bit challenging at the moment, but mm-hmm. For now, just to kind of get the moms, just to kind of open up their options a little bit, maybe have a postpartum specialist kind of share mm-hmm. their resources. It's not all of them are new moms. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are experienced moms like yourself, and you you don't need that so much. But, you know, everybody does need, you know, care, mm-hmm. like maybe even therapy, especially after this pandemic, we could all probably use a group meeting here and there, or just, just a place to kind of meet together mm-hmm. with like a glass of wine or whatever. Also, I, I can't stress enough about pelvic floor health. I do it every week. I'm like, hi, pelvic floor. Don't forget about it. <laughs> because, because I really, I really feel like it, peeing yourself is common but it's not necessarily normal. And a mm-hmm. lot of women just live with it and go, yeah, that's just part of yeah, having, you know, giving birth. But there are actually, there are things women can do to help stop it. Maybe not completely stop it, but at least make it better. So you don't have to suffer through it and wear a pad or mm-hmm. just some sort of defense all the time. Because as you get older, it's only going to get weaker. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just feel like women need to know that they have options. Mm-hmm. A lot of, a lot of people I talk to don't even know what a pelvic floor therapist is or that it was even a thing mm-hmm. and, or, or pelvic floor exercises. We hear Kegels, but it's so much more than Kegels. 
there are a lot more muscles involved than just that. And not everybody knows that. And so maybe getting like a pelvic floor specialist to kind of come in. I just want to create a lot of awareness for everybody, things that they didn't know were existed for them, because let's face it, women's healthcare is still kind of in the dark in a lot of ways. Mm. I mean, we've come far, but not far enough. And there are a lot of things that we don't know enough about our own bodies that we Mm -hmm. should know. Yeah. It's true. I saw there was a graphic circulating on Twitter about how breast milk actually comes out of a woman's body. And people were like, what? (laughs) The nipple does what? Yeah. And yeah, but some of these were people who had breastfed, but I guess didn't think about it or I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So it's like very vague. Yes. Yeah. It is very vague. And you don't know about it until it actually happens to you. Mm -hmm. And just a lot of women's health, you know, we go once a year for our annual checkup and anything in between is just, I, I like, I don't, I can't believe that it's not like, you know how when we give birth, Mm-hmm. Our babies are going to the pediatrician, like like they get the two month, the four month, the six month. We go for six to eight week checkup, and that's it. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. And we just went through this major thing where we gained twenty to forty pounds in just a short period of time, and our body went through this major change, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. Did you know that you could massage your cesarean scar? Did you know that you could? massage your episiotomy scar to prevent tightness in your muscles. I didn't know that. There are just things that we don't know that we could be doing to make things a little bit easier for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's where I want to see the women's group going. There are a lot of other moms groups that I've seen that have similar honesty and being vulgar or whatever. So me trying to figure out what will make us stand out more than other groups. But I think I think in the long run, what really matters is what the moms in the group actually need. Mm. And I think they just need a place to kind of go and vent about really tough stages of their kids' lives because every stage is something new. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that some moms, like a lot of the moms that are really vocalizing their kids are seven, eight, nine, 10 years old right now that Mm -hmm. I've been noticing. Some are teenagers, but most of them seem to be like elementary age, borderline middle school. So I, I have to know my, my audience, I guess. And I think they, they just need a place to really just kind of vent to one another too. So, Mm. so I guess where's it going? I I think I'm just kind of gauging the needs of what these moms, what they need, the people in the group first. Mm -hmm. And then, but I do really want to bring a lot more awareness to things that they didn't know that, you know, they could look into if they need it. So mm. hopefully I can, I can be a wealth of information for these moms. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, they're getting a lot yeah. from each other and it sounds like you're getting a lot from creating this space and being a part of this space. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoy, and especially seeing them like create their own posts and engage in conversations with each other is actually very, it makes me feel good that I, I gave them that place mm-hmm. to do that. And they feel comfortable talking mm-hmm. about it. I think I need to like, I kind of have to sit back and watch and see what they want or need. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's exactly what my husband told me too. I'm like, 
so what should I do like with this <laughs> now that I have it? What do you think? He's like, well, before you start looking into like inviting more people, why don't you see like your audience of what you have now and mm -hmm. figure out from there what they want? Yeah. Because he says they might want something different than you want and that's okay. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's true. That's good advice. So it's got to take on a life of its own first. And then I guess, yeah, I'll let it kind of be a little bit organic for now and figure it out. Yeah. Like you said, people are building connections. They're starting to feel safe in a space because I think with any group, you can say this is a, a safe space, but you know, I think you have to fill it out a little bit first. Like, are people going to, is anything that I say here going to come back to me? You know, you, you know what I mean? So you, you'd sort of dip your toe in and then the conversations start. And as long as people are making meaningful connections and having conversation, I mean, I think that alone is successful and, and definitely more meaningful than just growing something to grow it because then it, you know, it could very easily sort of spiral. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have a friend in our group who went through a lot of loss in these mm -hmm. past few years, lost a lot of family members, brother, mother, father, and husband. And oh. she has a 10 year old girl and with special needs. And she's been through a lot and mm -hmm she's really blossomed in that group and she it, it, i i feel so good knowing that that space has been so helpful to her so i guess i kind of look at it like as a teacher yeah you got a lot of students but you know you're going to make an impact on one here one there you know you're not going to help them all you can't save them all but when it just you you touch a life of one or two or just like a few of them then it's completely worth it, worth the effort. So even though the group is small, seeing that, maybe just even that, mm -hmm. seeing that person thrive in the group because she apparently needed it more than I did, <laughs> it's, it, it's nice to see. So maybe seeing more of that too, hopefully, like it, mm -hmm. I just, I just want people to feel good about themselves when they go in there. Yeah. Like, I am having a crappy day. Let's go to honest moms. And then, you know, maybe there's something on that post that somebody posts something that makes them laugh or mm -hmm. they just want to vent. So hopefully it'll, it'll, it'll maintain that kind of feel. Yeah. And complete, like completely, like it's still on topic, but because I've been thinking about, you know, I, I've, I've hit a crossroads in my life where I, I already knew that I may want to consider another career mm. in the near future. And I've been deciding, you know, I've always been teaching. What else can I do? And I've been exploring different things and the things, what do I enjoy doing? Mm -hmm. I enjoy helping others. And yeah, teaching is that, but I really also just enjoy helping just kind of like mentoring and helping and in that sense, in a group like that, or just mm -hmm. in a work setting. So these are things that I'm also like looking at for me personally as well. <laughs> so yeah, feeling good about helping others, but also like showing that I can manage a group of people and be organized to kind of add that to my list of things that I can do. Mm -hmm. Hopefully someone out there will look at a former teacher's resume and go, this lady can multitask like no mm -hmm. one else. <laughs> Yes. We could use someone yeah. like that. Yes. No, all those, there's so many transferable skills from education, you know, 
Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the hardest part was just figuring out like how to reword everything, you know, mm-hmm. and when that's all you, when you go to school to be a teacher, that's it. You think in your head, this is it. This is for life. Not necessarily the case, but you know, just the pandemic is definitely gave me a lot of reflecting time too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I do think that the pandemic has given a lot of people, well, those who have chosen to engage in the reflection time to reflect. I think the pandemic has been especially hard for people who are sort of unwilling or unable to sit with themselves. And I think they are probably some of the people that struggled the most with things being closed and not being able to preoccupy themselves. But I think a lot, a lot of people that I talk to had a lot of time to think. I mean, just becoming a parent alone, it changes everything. And people do tell you that. They do tell you, oh, it's going to change everything, but you don't understand until it's actually happening. Yeah. To yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, really. It did, you know, I, and I, and I knew that was going to happen. Like I, I knew, like, and I knew in my head, I'm only having one and I want to focus on, on him. Mm-hmm. And because like I said, I, I'm, I mean, I'm almost 40, so I'm an older parent and I, I'm, in a place where I've been there, done that sort of thing. So I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything in life. This is a change in my life, a big change, but I don't feel like, oh, missing out on everything. Although like (laughs) literally everyone's missing out on everything because it's a pandemic. So that, that kind of worked out in its favor, like (laughs) becoming a new parent and feeling like everyone's going out and having a good time. They're not. No, no (laughs) one was having fun without you. (laughs) (laughs) exactly so that fear of missing out thing is totally not non-existent so um, (laughs) so that that definitely worked out well for for us (laughs) so becoming a parent in that aspect but you know but it'd be nice to be able to see people and see their face yes but (laughs) yeah I forgot what I was getting at here (laughs) oh like just priorities and life changes and things like that but yeah it just I feel different and I'm good with it. And I hope you are feeling at peace wherever you are, whatever it is you're doing. Thank you to my guest, Kim. I deeply appreciate the honesty and authenticity you brought to our conversation. Interested moms can find the link to Kim's Facebook group in the show notes. Tell her Evelyn sent you. And thank you, listener, for joining me today. Texting from the bathroom is me, Evelyn Moon. Music is by Esteban Del Pino. You can catch future episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you catch your favorite podcasts. <laughs>